0: What's beneath the surface of true crime? Uncover brings you there with premium investigations that demand justice. Each season delves into a distinct case, from the inner workings of a cult to the disturbing legacy of residential schools. Promising new content year-round, Uncover will take you on a journey through explosive revelations with hosts dedicated to revealing the truth. Uncover, the best in true crime. Find it on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast.
1: I think it's just back there, right? It's over there.
0: sound you just heard came from a hospital in Khan Yunus Gaza, and the voice was Dr. Yassar Khan, a Canadian ophthalmologist. He was volunteering there and recording what he saw and heard around him. You say
1: next time, what? Next time. If you stay. If I stay. Yes. If I stay, you uh, Is that, that's a tank, right? No, no, bombs. That's bombs? No, bombs. Yeah. Uh, bombs Not tank. What does the tank sound like?
0: No, 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 it's not done. Dr. Khan got back from Gaza last week and has joined me in our studio. Just a warning. We'll be talking about some graphic details of what he saw there. Dr. Yasser Khan, good morning.
1: Good morning. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me here. Where were you when you recorded what we just heard? I was uh, right in Khan Yunus at the European Gaza Hospital in the Gaza Strip.
0: How close to you were those explosions?
1: They're less than a kilometer away, actually. Um, they're actually very loud and uh, and constant. Uh, it almost became just part of the background, uh, especially for the... I mean, it still took me a little while to get used to, but for the Palestinians that were there, it was almost in the background, and it was almost constant every hour, sometimes more than every hour. Yeah.
0: Would you hear it or would you feel you it as well? You would hear it. You would feel
1: it in what, your body. So what
0: did it feel like?
1: It felt like basically thunder. It, it sounded like thunder, but... Uh, unlike thunder, everything shook. So the uh, building shook. You could feel it in your body, and uh, it was unsettling at first. But then, as sad as it may it may seem, I got I got used to it because it would just happen. And sometimes it would startle me. But yeah, it just you could feel it in your body, and it was only less than a kilometer away. So you always had that worry. Well, what if it just... Falls and you know the aim is off and whatever, but that's a worry that they are, they live with on a
0: daily basis. So the other doctors, as you said, it's a bit unsettling because you're just getting there, but the mm-hmm. other doctors who are around, and I want to talk about the work that you're doing with them, but how are they responding to what we just
1: heard? They could tell whether it's an F-16 bomb, whether it's a tank bomb, whether it's a missile that's fired, whether it's a, a, quad, a quadcopter, which is a drone that fires missiles. It's a weaponized drone. They could tell the difference between all those fires, which is kind of... Um, you know, you don't usually live like that here in, in in Canada, where we can tell the you know the just from the sound of the blast what kind of weapon was used for this bomb. You and know?
0: as it's happening,
1: they're just continuing to go. They're just about continuing their work. to go. Actually, when I was there. They were just the most generous people. There's no food, but these doctors, these surgeons I was working with, uh, they would cook food for me. And and because everybody's lost their homes, about 80% of people have lost their homes. They've been destroyed by missile or bomb attacks. So they're all displaced. And they're living in these small dorm rooms, which are, you know, with, with two beds in them and within which they have like a portable cooker. And so they would make the meals in the room. So while the bombs are in the background getting closer, they're cooking. Uh, falafel because uh, they got, they're got they able to get some kind of mix for, for falafel, mm. which is un, unusual, uh, hard to get. And that's what they're making for me while this is going on.
0: Yeah. Why did you go to Gaza?
1: Well, I've been a lifelong humanitarian. I've been to about 40 different countries in Africa, Asia, South America, doing work like this, teaching and things like that. I must admit this was my first active war zone that I've been to. I've been to a lot of places in Africa, for example, where conditions have been really poor, but not a war zone. And I wanted to go and see how I can help, listen to them, do an exploratory visit on on how I can support them in the future as, as they rebuild. And that's where I went. I've been given skills and knowledge that, that I'm very blessed with. I live a very privileged life here. And I've always been a firm believer that, that if you've been given knowledge and skills, you should use it. And this is one of the areas that is really in need of, of skill sets that I have. So if I have an opportunity to go in and connect with them, share ideas, and just be there, just just even if I didn't do anything, and, and I did a lot of surgeries when I was there, but even if I didn't do anything, just me being there was actually supportive for them. And they appreciated that.
0: As I mentioned, you recorded some sounds while you were there, and I want to play something else. This sure. is you um, getting a tour of the hospital that you are working yep. in. This is our dealers' department. This is waiting okay. okay. area. The beds, occupants of are often to be like 250 yeah. beds. Mm-hmm. So they had to... Capacity. Over it? Yeah. Uh, and now they have over 1,000, I
1: think, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. When the hospital has a capacity of 250 beds, there is something like 1,000 patients who need to be uh, admitted. So... You just lay lay the bed over here. Capacity of 250 patients, but more than 1,000 who need admittance. Yeah. I watched a bit of this video. Um, describe what it looks like. There's, there's people everywhere. Well, there's been you know a,
1: a lot of military assault on the hospital systems in Gaza. I think there's only about a few hospitals left now. This was their premier tertiary care hospital, the, the European Gaza hospital, funded by the European Union many years ago. It was like their premier tertiary care level hospital that, that had a 250-bed capacity. OK, now what's happened is that because people relatively perceive the hospital to be relatively um, safer than being outside. And so what ha- what's happened is it's become a mini refugee city of displaced people where there's about 20,000 people living in the hospital and outside the hospital. Patients itself, they have about 2,000 patients with a 250 bed capacity. So patients are all over. The floor, uh, they're outside, inside. Some with major head trauma, major orthopedic injuries, major soft tissue injuries. People have set up shelters that you probably saw in the video, um, and these aren't tents because they've they've not been given access to proper tents. These are a makeshift shelters that they've made with blankets. And, these are the
0: bed sheets that are exactly, that are hanging
1: there. Exactly, bed sheets, uh, plastic sheets, blankets. And what are so? Just describe what those are. Um, it's where they live. It's where they live. They live inside. Some of them have mats on the floor. Some don't. So some are, are, are sleeping on, on either the bare floor or a sheet of cloth. Now, the unfortunate thing is that these people all had homes. They weren't homeless. They were all had homes. And many of them moved five, six times. So families of six, seven, eight people living in this small square of an area covered by sheets for privacy and things like that. Many of them are patients. So if you walk the hospital hallways, you can tell that the hospital was a... Fantastically modern relatively speaking hospital, but now every hallway is lined with shelter so there's people inside and outside at nighttime when you um, when you go um uh, when I go home, and, and often I'd operate from nine p.m., nine a.m. to ten p.m., people would be asleep. It'd be almost like a zombie movie, where you see people in the hospital at night sleeping all
0: over the floor. And home for you, I mean, as you said, I mean, the, yeah. the health workers that you're working with are yeah. essentially living in that area themselves. Well,
1: yeah. So, uh, so what happened with the uh, with the, the healthcare workers, the doctors at least, is that they used to have a, a call area, call rooms for for doctors
0: who would be on call. And so that's where all, they'd sleep overnight or something like that or just be waiting yeah, while they were on call? Yeah, but now
1: they're living there. So there's families of, so a lot of doctors have moved their families uh, into these. So there's families of five or six living in this small one, uh, actually not even one bedroom, like small room with two beds. And that. And they're cooking in there and that's where the doctors are staying. Yeah. How are they doing? Uh, Palestinians, I discovered, it's my first kind of contact, uh, first I'm going there, are an amazingly resilient resilient people. I mean, I mean, the suffering there, uh, Matt, is, is, is immense. I mean, I know I've been following social media the last three months, but when you go there, you experience how much the suffering is. I mean, uh, they are working 24-7, so there's no money coming, but yet they're working 24-7, they're exhausted. Most of the healthcare workers are not paid, okay? Basically, patients are coming in, and, and I saw this for myself every hour. Mm. Uh, there's patients coming in. Every time there's a bomb, we say uh, they say, well, you know what? Give it ten minutes. All of the mass casualties will start coming in, and these are children, women, boys, men that have that come in with limbs lost, um, with head trauma, with uh, that classic shrapnel face. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. Um, you have a face with multiple red dots all over the face, almost like red, um, you know, pimples all over the place, and each red dot has either steel or wood or concrete in it. And, that's uh, the shrapnel from the explosion. Yeah, exactly, right? And so what happens with, with especially with me being an ophthalmologist is that when an explosion happens, uh, you don't cover your eyes because you don't know what's happening, right? So the shrapnel also goes into the eyes and that's why people are losing eyes. Mm. And when they come in, people are focused on the immediate trauma of broken legs, of head trauma. They forget about the eyes initially. Then later on they realize, oops, the eyes also need attention, right? So a lot of them have gone blind and you know, it's. For me, uh, the hard thing was these were children who were like two, six. The ones I operate on, I took actually eyes out. So I took about 10 eyes out when I was there because, of, and these were like two, six, uh, 13, 16, 17 year olds who were basically blind. And I mean, it's, um, I mean, the amount of amputations I saw, I've never seen. I saw 15 being done in one one day, both legs, arms. There was, there was one, uh, two boys, two brothers, uh, 16, 14 and 15 and 17 year old. And one of them had an above groin amputation. I don't know if you can kind of figure that out. That's Mm -hmm. above groin, okay, amputation. I didn't even think they could do that to be honest. I mean, eventually, and I had to look at them for their eyes, but both boys ended up dying. They didn't survive. You said there were a lot of children
0: that you're you're working with and working on and operating on.
1: Yep. Um,
0: Is there one in the sweep of, of the patients that you saw a story that stands out? To I mean that must be really hard to pick, yeah. but it, but just to give something that will stay with you, a story that would stay with you.
1: Yeah, I mean there was a six-year-old girl, same age as my daughter, looks like my daughter, same body type. Um, so that really hit me, and that's the first time I broke down. Actually, I was in the OR and I broke down. She lost her father, her mother is injured, and she basically had a shrapnel, a stone about. Three or two or three inches that went uh, into her eye and just shattered her eyeball. So I had to take the eyeball out. But you saw this tiny soul who's done nothing. She actually was living in a shelter right next to a building that was bombed. So the building that was bombed uh, indiscriminately, uh, the whole family died there, but she was in a, in a makeshift uh, shelter right next to it. And she got uh, you know this shrapnel in her eye, shattered her eyeball. And I thought to myself, I saw this tiny soul sitting there, and and I could relate being a father. I just said, you know, she's done nothing at all to deserve this, and I took the eye out. Um, There's a big rock um, that I took out. Um, I've got a video of it, and um, it was just shocking how big it was, and and that's it. I mean, um, her whole life has changed, and she's only six years old, and that's just one story. There's thousands of those stories, yeah.
0: Hello, I'm Jess Milton. How difficult is it to do this work? You talked about breaking down, um, but also one of the things that we have heard from doctors working in the hospitals yeah. in Gaza is the description is that the the system is you know at the <laughs> brink of collapse, that it's about to collapse, that they don't have the necessary supplies, what have yeah. you. How difficult is it to do the work that you are trying to do in that context? The system has collapsed.
1: So it's not on the verge, it's completely collapsed. Like I said, most of the hospitals have been bombed or are gone and nothing is being allowed. So the other thing is nothing's being allowed in. So they don't have any painkillers or any analgesics. And what happens is that they have to economize and only use it for the big cases, uh, for analgesics. But for the other cases, people just um, suffer. And again, I mean, I was amazed, Matt, at at the resiliency. I mean, such a resilient population that they're putting up with the pain. Yes, I hear screams. In the hospitals, first of all, you can't imagine the hospital you walk through. It's mass chaos. There's people everywhere. Everybody's coughing. Everybody has a respiratory illness, most likely. Everybody's lost something. Uh, antibiotics you can't you can't find them. They have enough anesthetics to put people to sleep t- t- to do these major surgeries, but nothing is coming in. Nothing's being allowed to come in, which, as a humanitarian, just doesn't make any sense. How we as a world cannot allow medicines to come in to help these people. Seventy percent of people injured coming in are women and children.
0: I wanna play one more thing. Sure. Um that that you recorded while you were there working in the hospital. Have a listen to this. Well, Can you tell me about the reaction that you just had in hearing that? Um,
1: yeah, it just, uh, it, it broke me down then and it, it breaks me down now because there's a lot of children, a lot of children in, 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 in this hospital, in, in the makeshift camps, there's children everywhere. And this was, and they have, they've lost their schools and their, and their lives and there's nothing for them to do. There's no schools, there's nothing. They're living in, in on the floor outside. And so, but yet they're still smiling. Right, And it's, you know, they're still smiling. And, and this was basically, there's a there's a man uh, who had lost both his legs. He was in a wheelchair. um, And he was trying, and there's a whole big lineup of, of kids. And he was basically doing like a trick-or-treat kind of thing, right? Uh The kids would line up. He would make them sing something and then give them a treat, mm. right? And uh, this was at nighttime. And as I was walking back to my room, I, I, I filmed this and it just broke me down because I just saw the the innocence sense of, of children. They're laughing, they're smiling. And I mean, you know, for them, this is normal,
0: right? This is they're not just sound, normal. They just
1: sound like kids
0: yeah, that are singing. Yeah, they sound like
1: kids. And this is not normal, yeah. but for them, it's normal.
0: So that really affected me. Really I mean, much. you just heard it and you took your glasses off and yeah. kind of just, you had to kind of catch yourself. Yeah. yeah. You had to leave... Earlier than expected. You, you, there was a set time that you yeah. were going to be there, but you left before that time ended. Why did you have to get out? Bombing
1: started getting closer and closer and closer. So um, I, think the, um, the, I think the Israeli forces were, were, were moving closer and the fighting was getting closer to the hospital. And I mean, the, the last night was tough. I couldn't sleep because it was constant bombing. And we're really worried, and so I was speaking to some of the UN agencies there, and they said that the Israeli occupation forces will, will, will move in on the, um, on the hospital uh, and force the evacuation like they did with al-Shifa early on. Another hospital Yeah, uh, so yeah. uh, um, Gaza had three major hospitals. Al-Shifa was one of their major hospitals, and that was a forced evacuated, we all know about that, that was about two months ago. So that's the, that, that this hospital maybe has 10 days at best. And that really worried me. I was worried for the patients. I was worried for my colleagues who have become my friends now. I don't know where they'll go. And those 20,000 people, I don't know where they'll go because, Matt, there's literally nowhere to go. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen. So that's as I was leaving, which was scary leaving because um, we left in a marked – it was six of us, uh, another NGO – and we left in a marked ambulance. Of course, we informed everybody our, our route and, and whatnot to the border, to the uh, Rafa border, the Egyptian border. But we were scared, all six of us were tense because ambulances are are, are getting missile attacks. And just yesterday there was an ambulance that got uh, attacked and about six paramedics died, plus two patients. Even then, to be honest, you know, I, I didn't want to leave because I almost felt guilty leaving.
0: Um, Why did you you feel guilty? You'd gone there, you you didn't need to go and you went and you did this work. Why did you feel guilty in leaving?
1: I felt guilty because I'm I'm leaving these people that I became very close to. I'm leaving all these patients that I cared for uh, and their follow up uh, to somebody else. And I'm leaving to a very privileged, very blessed life where there's peace and there's stability
0: and there's security. What is it like for you to be back here? As you said, you've said this a couple of times, you have a privileged life. Yeah. Like, what, what is it like walking around, knowing where you were just a few days ago?
1: It's definitely strange. Um, like I said, my heart is still there, uh, but my body's here. Um, I, I'm worried. Um, I feel surreal about how we're all the same. Everybody's the same, uh, you know, we're all, they have the same, uh, uh, you know, same concerns, same wishes and dreams of life that we do here. Um, they are very educated. Um, they're like us, we're all the same. It saddens me, yeah.
0: Will you go back? Do you think? Yes, you I will, will go, You I, I didn't even finish that question. And you said yeah, you were Without a heartbeat, back. I'd go back, yeah. yeah. You've done humanitarian work, as you said, all over the world. I have, yeah. What's gonna stay with you from, from what you saw?
1: The suffering here, Matt, is unprecedented. Um, I've been to Uganda. I've been to Cameroon. I've been to uh, Vietnam, Philippines. I've been to Ecuador and obviously working amongst um, disadvantaged people. But the amount of, of suffering is, is unprecedented. Um, it's, it's, it's the worst I've, I've ever seen. They're, they're people of hope. When I was there, they're hoping, you know, I'll do this when the war ends, we want to do this. So they actually were talking about their dreams, uh, of what they want to do after the war on, on Gaza is over. And that struck me. I said, well, you know what? We don't know what's going to happen. It's still going on actively, worse so. So the difference I made from you was before I went, Matt, you know, you know, we all read on the news, 300 people dead here or there in the world, right, in conflicts in the world. But when I went there, each person had a story. Mm. So that 300 became one times 300. And, and so that was tough to take it. It's not just 300. It's each person has a story that's lost a life. Yeah, so.
0: I'm glad you came in to tell us about, about the work that you've done. Thank you for doing that work and thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Yasser Khan is a Canadian ophthalmologist and eye surgeon. He volunteered at the European hospital in Han Yunus in Gaza, and he returned to Canada last week.